0: in kind of a weird place right now it's currently got a secondary market and you see that with other beverages such as whiskey and wine but right now beer is in a place where there are really great sought after beers and i brought on an avid beer trader his name's taylor dodds from bay area brews and we're going to talk about the secondary market on homebrewing diy Get the cleaning results required in brewing. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean crucin. They are no match for Scrubber Duckies, and you can get yours today at ScrubberDuckies.com. Once again, head over to ScrubberDuckies.com. Have you ever wanted to make a podcast? Do you have a subject you want to discuss with listeners? Do you even know where to start? Well, if you want to make a podcast and you want to get started now, I could not recommend Anchor enough. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast, so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Hey, look, I shopped around for a place to post my podcast, and Anchor was the easiest, most streamlined experience you could ask for. So if you're looking for a place for your new podcast... Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. welcome back to homebrewing diy the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing gadgets contraptions and parts this show covers it all on today's show we're talking to taylor dodds of bay area beers we're going to discuss the beer secondary market and beer trading in general and how that is really a new phenomenon when it comes to craft beer and the state of craft beer today But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you and your monthly support that we keep the show coming to you week after week. I'd like to thank our newest patron over at Patreon of Paul Ovenstone. He gave last week and is our newest patron. He gave at the $1 level. He took advantage of the $1 offer that we are doing right now, where if you give it $1, you're going to get the same perks as you would get if you gave it $5, and that's access to our ad-free RSS feed, as well as early released episodes, a set of homebrewing DIY stickers, all included in that package. We also have some great things for those who do give it the $5 level, because you would will get a free gift from our ad sponsor, Scrubber Duckies. Another way to support the show is by heading over to Apple Podcasts, or Podchaser.com and writing us a review. Your reviews help others find the show, and we do read every single one of them, and I've had great feedback from those reviews that's helped me improve this show for the future and really want to hear your feedback. Another way to support the show is a new service that I'm trying. It's called Coffee, and that's K-O-F-I. And the idea behind it is it's a one-time support. So if you go over to coffee.com and that's ko-fi.com forward slash homebrewingdiy, you can just give us a one-time contribution of $3, and it really helps. So the idea is buy me a cup of coffee. The last way to support the show is by using our sponsor links. Head over to homebrewingdiy.beer, our website, and use one of our sponsor banners. We're, we have such great sponsors such as Brew in a Bag or the brewfather software. If you use those links, it lets them know that we sent you and then they give us a little bit of money in return. So, please support our sponsors by doing so. I have a couple of announcements to make. First of all, next week at 7:30 p.m. Eastern Time, we are going to have Rob Dessal doing our Homebrewers Roundtable. You can access that by heading over to homebrewingdiy.beer and clicking on the events tab up in the menu of the website. There, you're going to be able to sign up for the Homebrewers' Roundtable. Rob DeSalle, if you remember, was episode 23. He was the co-author of A Natural History of Beer. He's also a PhD from Yale and a curator at the Museum of Natural History in New York City. It's the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. He's really knowledgeable, spent a ton of time working and studying and learning a lot about beer history for this book. And he's going to come and talk to anyone who would like to join us. You just have to sign up. It is completely free. And once you sign up, I'll send you a link to the, the event and then you can show up and he'll give a small presentation at the beginning and then we'll just do a QA. and a It'll be about an hour, but it's a really great time to interact with one of our show's guests and to learn a lot about beer history. So if you're interested, head over to homebrewingdiy.beer and click on the events tab. Another thing I'd like to announce is that if you're listening to this podcast at launch today on a Thursday, uh, I'm excited to tell you that I'm actually a guest on another podcast. So if you've ever heard of the podcast Homebrew Happy Hour, which is a great show, Josh and those guys do a really great job. They invited me to be on their podcast, so if you listen to this week's episode or episode number 183, I am actually the guest on that show, and we talk about this podcast, my brewing history, and a lot of things that you've probably already heard about me, but it really is a great podcast, and I highly recommend you guys going and check it out. So that's Homebrew Happy Hour, the podcast you can find on anywhere you would listen to your podcasts, and homebrew Happy hour, homebrewhappyhour.com. A little bit about my brewing and what's going on. I've just brewed a nice, I would call it a golden ale. I did a nice recipe where I mixed a half, I did a 13 pound grain bill and it or 12 pound grain bill. Actually, I'm looking at the recipe here and it's six pounds of the Viking pale malt with it's the 5.1 love blonde. So it's a little darker than your normal base malts. And I did another half of Pilsner malt to kind of lighten it up and give it that crisp Pilsner flavor. And I blended those two and then just did a a really simple hop schedule of 60 minutes of a one ounce of Liberty. Um, That's a New Zealand hop, like 4% uh, alpha acid. And then I did a little bit of Mount Hood right in the last 10 minutes. And it's fermenting away in my new fermentation chamber. I have not melted from my fermenter yet. So that is going well. It's actually been very uneventful and going really smooth. And I've been using Aaron across the street. I've been using his mash and boil lately. And it has all of this process to brew in it with a cage and all this stuff. And I basically dumped all that stuff and I've been brewing in a bag in it. And I've come up with a nice little process. So, and it's been working really well. What I've done is I take the mash and boil and I get it up to five gallons and then I mash in. And it's a pretty thick mash, but I just stir a lot. And it actually holds heat really well because the the mash is a little thicker. And uh, I stir it, get it going and watch that mash and keep it at temperature. I mashed at 153 and then I pull the bag out And I have a colander that I have from IKEA, and I pull it out, and the colander fits perfectly in that hole, and I set the bag right into it. There's no having to lift it up with a string and all that stuff. It it works really well, fits right in that colander, and then I just squeeze the bag into that colander, and it gives me something to squeeze against, and I feel like I've actually able to get more of that sweet wort out of it. And I just sit there and squeeze it, and while I'm squeezing it, I'm upping the temperature, and then pull it off. And then I top up the water to about six and a half gallons. And after brewing on this system about three times, I finally nailed my number to the money. It was a, a target gravity of a 1048. And it came out at exactly 5.5 gallons in a 1048. So I'm pretty happy with what's going on there. I think Aaron's also in a process where he's going to tweak his system he's going for his own build your own electric system and i i'm hoping and he even if he's listening to this podcast i'm hoping that soon when that happens he's just gonna sell me his mash and boil and i'll probably just turn that into my system and go electric and do it the the easy way so that's that's at least my plan with my system and i'm excited about it now let's jump into this week's show where we're talking to taylor dodds and we're going to dive into the craft beer secondary market, beer trading, and what are some of the new styles that are coming out that are so hot right now? I'd like to welcome Taylor Dodds from Bay Area Beers. It's an Instagram account that is really got its finger on the pulse of beers in the Bay Area. Hi, Taylor. How are you?
1: Good. How about yourself, Colter?
0: Excellent. Let's why don't you tell us a bit about what you do when it comes to beer and kind of fill us in on how you approach beer
1: yeah definitely so i am not a home brewer as probably most of your audience is more familiar with but i am i believe what you used to call a connoisseur uh, for those who don't know it's just somebody who enjoys drinking beer but not necessarily the brewing process so I am not quite as skilled at that particular art, but I can definitely drink it and I know what I like and I know uh, what's popular and what trades well. So really it's all about just finding what what is it that you have access to kind of in and around your area and then figuring out how to leverage that in trades to have access to things that you wouldn't normally have.
0: Awesome. We're now in a place where beer brewing is really hyper local. It's something that when we think about the difference between beers in my area and your area, it's really, there are different trends when it comes to things that are happening locally. Why don't you dive into a bit of what's going on in Colorado versus what's going on in San Francisco and how there are also differences.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think there's some some major trends that I'm sure everyone's aware of right now are things like the Hazy IPA, which has taken the country and the world by storm. Uh, both, we have excellent uh, versions of that here in the Bay Area, as well as in Colorado. Breweries like Cerebral, I've been to before out there, is very good. They do a great product. Uh, here in San Francisco and the surrounding area, we have quite a few of them. Uh, to name you know just the ones off the top of my head there's seller maker there's alvarado street there's humble sea there's you know the list goes on and on but that there's a ton of people doing that style and that style is very marketable very um desirable from anybody and there's a few there's a few out there who do it very very well so the obvious ones like treehouse trillium other half monkish these are the ones that you know, those. Are, if you live in and around the areas where you have access to those beers, then you're sitting really pretty for the current hype wave of um, hazy IPAs. The other ones that trade really well right now are the sours. So barrel-aged sours, uh, anything with fruited notes, with Britannomyces, something that you can keep around for a little while that you don't just have to grab and drink right away. And then naturally, the adjunct pastry stouts. Everybody loves those. <laughs> you know, anything with chocolate... Cinnamon, different notes like that, trade very, very well. And there's some breweries putting out some really, really high ABV, but very drinkable products.
0: Yeah, I would say that those styles of beer have really been the big trend for the last three years. Previous to that, I think the big trend was probably the West Coast IPA. And IPAs have really been the big trend since probably the late aughts in the
1: 2000s. Yeah, the first wave of craft beer had more to do. They definitely still had stouts. You had all the white whales, all the OG stouts from places like Goose Island. Uh, and then really, there were some good examples of the West Coast style IPAs from Russian River, who's also a Bay Area native. They are still you know, one of the biggest producers in the area. People still flock from all over to get Pliny the Younger. You, know, you can stay in line for eight hours. They have a line out the door for two weeks straight. People coming from all over the world to taste that beer. Even even though it's not the flavor of the month, uh, everybody still has a very big interest in the tradition of the classic West Coast IPA.
0: And you sit down and you pull open the menu, and I can't wait till that day happens again. You sit down and you look at a beer menu and you see that they have six or seven different IPAs, all of them hazy. What? are the common hop combinations that you see when you see a beer menu like that?
1: Yeah, I think the buzz surrounds anything double dry hopped is a big one. DDH sells very well. Uh, You're looking at, you know, individual IPAs, double IPAs, even some triples. I think you might be surprised to find a triple uh, that I sent over to you as well as some collabs. Uh, Collabs are a very big thing, but the hop profiles that are very popular right now would be things like Galaxy, Citra, Nelson, when you can get it. Those are all really big right now. Those kind of the, those I would call those the big three. And then you also see a lot of things like Moteca being used, uh, Mosaic. Some of the more traditional hops are in there as well. But those really fruity, kind of um, fresh and sweet tasting. They're a little. They're not as sweet. Or they're they're more sweet than the traditional kind of bitter, hoppy, high IBU IPA. The the flavor profile on these is more juicy. You hear the word juicy get thrown around a lot. And I would attribute that to uh, some of the different types of hops they're using.
0: When you're out there trying to figure out, like, for example, I live in Colorado and you live in San Francisco, and you want to know what the hot local beers are and you don't live there, how are you finding that out?
1: Yeah, definitely. So there's a, there's a few different places I go for information or just trying to, trying to seek out what is popular and what people like. Uh, most of the trade groups that I'm involved with are from Instagram. Instagram is probably my number one location for that kind of thing. Obviously, that's where my account is from. But there's also a number of groups that you can find on Facebook and other social media, where it's basically just, you know, some of those breweries I mentioned earlier, like Treehouse and other half, they just have entire groups dedicated to only trading, you know, if they if they live in the area, and they have access to the beer, then that's a cash cow for them. That's That's income that they can sell per can if they want, or they can trade for stuff that they can't get just like me. Uh, as far as if I were to go into a place I'm not as familiar with uh, the, the two main resources that I would be looking at is untapped. There's a great app. I'm sure everybody's familiar with untapped. Uh, you can local breweries will post their latest beers on there. People can rate them. People can check them in. And then I'll also the beer advocate um, website, which I believe is owned by untapped now. Yeah,
0: that's pretty cool. I, I, just noticed that recently and i think that it's not necessarily a bad thing i think that it's going to give beer advocate really the solvency and even some of the funding they need to kind of stay afloat and stay relevant i think it's a great site what do you think
1: yeah i definitely agree i think beer advocate has been around for much longer and is really more dedicated to kind of the buzz and the news and the forums about what is going on with beer and beer beer trading beer brewing who's making the good stuff. Whereas, um, untapped itself is more of, it's kind of a slightly gamified version where you're just kind of seeing what beers are out there, looking at the lists, checking, finding them, checking them in, uh, rather than actually having a deeper conversation about the flavor profiles and you know, what the beer means to you. It's
0: funny you say that because I'm now in a place where I think I use untapped More than I'm actually using Beer Advocate, just because I'm at home now
1: more and I'm drinking more beer at home. How about you? Yeah, same. Absolutely. Uh, I I downloaded it a while ago and I hadn't, you know, I didn't really use it that much. But my usage of it has skyrocketed, certainly within the last few months because of where we're at right now. And it's really interesting to see some of my local beer share buddies. They're actually hosting digital shares where everybody kind of has their own bottle. It's definitely not the same, right? You can't share what you have with others, but if you all kind of bring what you want and share and talk about over a zoom or something, you still get that kind of beer community aspect to the drinking instead of sitting in your house or apartment, drinking a beer by yourself. It's never going to be the same thing as sharing it with friends.
0: (laughs) Totally. I, I am. Some people are into doing it at home. Uh, me personally, I'm more of a social drinker, (laughs) but you know, yeah, well, you know, how do you think COVID has really affected the beer trading scene or just really beer drinking in general?
1: Yeah, I think this is, especially in California, it's really opened up a whole new era for beer in the state. So I would formally need to trade for things like Monkish out of LA or Pure Project out of San Diego or you know any of the other brews that I don't have direct access to that I can either drive to, walk to, or get in a local kind of bottle shop. Uh, all of those have opened up shipping throughout the state. So it's a bit like I'm trading with the brewery itself. I think it's it's made a huge, huge leap in the availability of different beers. Uh, right now, from what I understand legally, it's only in the same state. So I, I, you can probably get beers from Colorado, but you can't get them from California and similarly the other way around. Even if they are small states and they're directly next to each other – like in the case of you know maybe other half, and I have some friends who live in New Jersey, even though they live within the radius of what the, where other half would be delivering to maybe, say, in upstate New York, just because they're across that indiv- they're that invisible border, they're not able to get access to any of it. It's very interesting the way that the laws have been shaped up here, but I think we really are ushering in an entirely new era of access to some of these great beers.
0: Do you think smaller breweries that maybe don't have access to online sales are struggling now?
1: I think they're definitely struggling. Uh, I I can think of a few up here. Uh, I'm actually north of San Francisco in Marin County. And there's, you know, watching them not really have the operational facilities to get out beer in the same way that people can do when they have a larger, kind of more established brewery. I think they're really, you know, they don't have the distribution to stores. The stores themselves aren't necessarily even open that are selling, or if they are, uh, they don't have the patronship to be able to stock some of these more local beers. And I think that's absolutely affecting the smaller people in the market. Even even these larger ones, like we'll take Monkish an example. The people who made that brewery what it is, probably the most famous and sought after hazy IPA in the entire entirety of the West Coast, those people are unable to get the beer now, even though they were going in there they live in the area they can they had all the access they wanted to it now that there's demand online we're seeing things like beer selling out in 10 seconds i myself have been a part of that trying to get a shipment from monkish with at least six other friends at times and when once they said hey it's online now you go in there, you click through a couple of pages, and if you're not one of the first hundred people to buy a case, you're done. There's, they can't get it to anyone else. And so they do reserve some for you know the local patronage, but it's very, very, very sought after. And you can see comments on comments on all their different social media pages of people just roasting them so hard about how unavailable their beer is.
0: Yet on the flip side right now, if you have a local brewery, like, for example, I'm part of a homebrew club, and we go to a very small local brewery, if you were to go to a brewery like that, those guys are probably really struggling, especially with COVID. So they're, they're struggling to do things like be able to do sales online and only stuck with doing sales to go, or if they didn't have a canning line. I personally think that that's the brewery that's really going to be hit hardest by COVID-19.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree you have someone in your area and this is you know to your point the vast majority of non super hyped brews you're going to want to get in there and try to support your local brewery as much as you can
0: yeah and when you think about the brewery situation right now it's a very hyper localized thing breweries started out where it was big macro breweries then you had micro breweries such as sierra nevada that really are big industrial situations anyway they're I would consider them now the mid-sized brewer. Sierra Nevada, Russian River, New Belgium, those kinds of brands. And when you look at the overall breakdown of the craft beer industry, it really is hyper-localized like a small restaurant or a small pub. And so the idea is that I think that when we get out of this, there's going to be a lot of brands or breweries that aren't gonna be there anymore.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's some efforts out there. One notable one is called Altogether, where there's a single recipe that was released by other half to brew something that could be made by any any you know brewery out there who wants to do a kind of virtual collaboration with and tie their tie their brewery to a big name is able to brew this altogether beer. And there's a whole hashtag and everything around it and uh what's great about that is not only is there notoriety coming out that you're collaborating with such a big brewery but also a percentage of all of the proceeds goes to covid relief. So I think there people are doing people are finding ways to really give back and help out the beer scene um you know even if they are at the top tier.
0: Yeah, I just had a few of those actually I had just notably had one from Weldworks the other day and it's a really solid great beer yeah i i'm really surprised at the quality and the fact that so many different breweries can take that recipe and just nail it i am pretty excited about it i want to quickly switch gears since you and i just did a pretty cool beer trade and that is actually uh, one of the subjects we're going to talk about today what would you do if you were saying to somebody, hey, I want to do a beer trade with you? I know that you live in one part of the country. I live in one part of the country. How do we get one going?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, you have to agree, first of all, what, you know, what what size are you doing? If it's just, you know, maybe a four pack, is there a couple of bottles thrown in? Feel out what the other person's taste preferences are and what they have access to in their area and what you're interested in. Um, you and I have traded beer before. And we already kind of knew what was good in each other's places. But you might want to just start by having a conversation and kind of trying to trying to get a lay of the land or, you know, use one of these apps that I mentioned earlier, like Untapped or Beer Advocate to really understand what the local market is. And, you know, even if they aren't the super hype beast brewery, understand that one of these smaller ones is probably putting out a great product and listen to whoever it is you're trading for when they say, hey, this might not have a 4.5 rating with a 30,000 reviews, but it's something that's close to my heart. And that that has a that has a quote unquote, secondary market value as well, right? So when you're trading with strangers over the internet, a lot of the time, you just kind of have to go by what the metrics say. But when you're trading with friends, absolutely, it's important to, you know, hear each other out and talk about not just the monetary value of the beer, but when something has a emotional connection with someone that's going to that's going to Um, bring up the quality of the trade for sure
0: i think this is a good time to jump in and talk about the secondary market out there i've seen a lot of facebook groups that have popped up around this and a lot of people out there that are selling beer as a you know at a secondary value well-aged seller beers that you couldn't get anymore why don't you talk to us a bit about how you think the secondary market is affecting beer
1: Yeah, I think it's a it's a controversial topic for sure. I think a lot of brewers speak out against it and they don't want to see uh, their products being oversold or out there being sold for a value that they didn't really attribute to it. It's it's there's no easy answer to me because you know, in the example that you just gave, someone had put some additional love into that beer, right? They sellered it correctly. They have been holding on to it for some time. It, it isn't available, so it's it's kind of worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it, and that is that is you know controversial, as I said. but i I don't really sit on one side of the fence or the other. I think there are people out there taking and, taking too much advantage of that and really turning it more into a business where they have proxies, they're going to these breweries. They're just trying to get up as many of these hype beers as they can and then store them for, you know, for however long they want to before cashing in on that, which I don't I don't fully agree with. But at the same time, they're also giving that chance to somebody who wasn't able to get the beer to taste that brewery's product and understand more about what's going on um in that brewery's kind of repertoire. What do you think about it?
0: I agree. It is a pretty controversial topic and Here's my real thoughts on it. I think that beer now is a place where wine was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Wine has his for 30 or 40 years had a really big secondary market.
1: Oh, forever. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I also feel like that we're in Mar- whiskey now is in a place where it has a huge secondary market and craft beer is now just to a point to where there are enough brands brands out there, there's enough good quality beer out there. Specifically there's some barrel aged stouts and some sours out there that sell really well. And so I think that we are just getting to a point to where beer has the brand recognition, the quality and the ability to age like we haven't seen in a very long
1: time. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, we are we are in a renaissance of beer because you know brewing small batches being that nano or hyper local brewery there's plenty of people out there they don't even have a storefront right so there's beer clubs out there that are doing these adjunct stouts and really well barrel aged sours that you can't you can't go to a store and buy it you can't even go to a tasting room and try it you just have to be in the know and they're at the right place at the right time to get some and those those are the ones that are really you know in demand and sought after
0: now let's switch gears a bit and talk about how we actually do the active trading right so i live in colorado you live in san francisco or i live in pennsylvania you got to get the trading done what are some of the best shipping methods out there to actually trade beer
1: well, I, legally, you can ship as long as you uh, declare what you have in there. And there are methods that you can and can't do that with. Uh, the kind of more underground route is people like to save money by using priority flat rate shipping from USPS. Uh, the interesting thing about those is that you need to declare that there are no liquids because no liquids are allowed to be sent and received in these priority flat rate boxes. However, if you're shipping you know, over a certain amount of weight, which is a pretty quick, you know, you get to that weight pretty quickly and it starts to add up. Uh once you're talking about after you put in a four-pack, a couple bottles, uh, you see that $15 price tag on your medium flat rate box that you can hold all that stuff in. It looks pretty enticing. But normally you are you you know you need to declare what it is you have in there. And uh there's a, there's a number of different packaging options even that have sprung up recently mostly out of the wine shipping industry. So I believe you yourself have some bubble mailers uh, there. I know that recently when I've been starting to get some of these sours uh, from breweries in California, they actually ship them in wine boxes. So they have wine boxes with a kind of cardboard mold inside that keeps the bottles away from each other and away from the edges and nice and protected. So people will reship in... You know, whichever box they want, but ultimately the biggest bang for your buck is going to be that priority flat rate uh, as long as you're putting in the right amount of weight.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because when we talk about packaging, one of the, my favorite secrets is to use my Tavour boxes and keep a hold of those and use those for shipping. They are great and they work really well. I, I, I need to actually, I'm probably the only podcast out there that doesn't have Tavour as a sponsor, but I do actually use Tavour. And those boxes work really well.
1: Yeah, they really are. And I, I have done I have done Tavor. Um I the my most recent box actually came at the beginning of this month and it was great. I, I have never even considered reshipping them, but I I'm not sure why, because they are a company that ships, you know, volume in these things. But I open it up, I'm like, this is just a box with some cardboard dividers in here. How safe can that be? I guess the answer is safe enough to run a business around. <laughs> So I should maybe I should start saving those up a little bit.
0: What are some of the other shipping services that you might recommend for someone to use?
1: I would just generally recommend um, UPS and FedEx. It's just it's the same thing as shipping. Really, anything else you can insure the package. If it's some if it's a real if it's one of those bottles like we were talking about, which is a whale, as they say, you're gonna want to you're gonna want to ship it. You know, whoever whoever is on the other side of that is going to appreciate if you're shipping responsibly and making sure that it's well packaged, well maintained, and insured.
0: I think the other tip that I might add to that is making sure that you ship it in a timely manner. Try two-day shipping. Don't do ground shipping that's going to take a week. I think that that's really important considering that you want to take a lot of care to keep this packaged beer and get it there safely, but also you want to limit yourself from temperature swings. They can really damage a beer when when you have something that is normally stored cold or something that's super sensitive to temperature having it go from hot to cold hot to cold that could be something that could damage it right
1: yeah no, that's you bring up a really good point which is the faster the better it limits that kind of exposure i have personally had beers within the last couple of weeks that they weren't even a part of trade they were something that i went and got uh from a curbside pickup at a local reputable establishment and this was a you know a beer that i was excited about it came from new york it had uh, very high ratings, a very large amount of uh, reviews. By all means, it should have been you know, quite a, quite a good beer. However, when I opened it up, I noticed that it was very tainted. And I, I, I am convinced something happened to it in transit, although I cannot prove it.
0: Well, I can use that as another example when you're getting beer shipped to you from countries like Europe – that beer takes a long time to get here. And it's not the same as if you were drinking a beer in that country. And you'll hear it time and time again from people who've traveled to Belgium or traveled to Germany that beer here, even
1: though German, isn't the same. It's true. I think that um, for a long time before the craft beer revolution, the United States was scoffed at in the international beer world because we didn't really have anything that was worthy of you know accolade. However, these days... Um, some might say the tables have turned in the same way they did with wine and that there are some microbreweries in the United States making world-class beer that is you know, coveted from those same countries who might have turned their nose up previously.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because right now if you go to Europe, specifically like if you go to countries like Sweden, that have their own classic styles they, and you go to a brewery, there's a lot of breweries there now making American hazy IPAs. Hazy IPAs have taken pretty much the whole world at this point and that is something that you're seeing in other countries so but let's let's kind of switch gears here i want to ask you a question i want to ask you about the slushy beer
1: (laughs) so slushy is another one of those kind of uh hype beers so to speak. There's a few there's a few breweries out there doing them. Um notably 450 North and Burley Oak and a couple others that make this extremely fruit mashed Berliner Weiss, I guess we can call it. And it is it's another one of those beers out there that's pretty contentious. Some people swear by them. They love them. They have a lot of um you know lactose in them to give it that chewy mouthfeel. They have a lot of the berry or stone fruit or other you know mash in there, but it's something that if you were to if you were to give it to somebody who knows and loves a sour beer, they would probably you know consider it a drain pour. However, it's something that is just red hot right now and it's flying off the shelves and flying out of breweries at a rate that I've never really seen from something that I, you know, I think it's all right.
0: Well, it's funny how when you think about beers starting trends, there's so many that maybe they start a trend, but then they end up not really becoming something. For me, I would say that would be the black IPA right now. When you think about it, there's a lot of breweries out there that in I would say five or six years ago, were trying to make this beer a thing. They were, they were making these black IPAs, and some were actually really good styles. And I'm sure there is a brewery out there that makes a killer black IPA, and that is their thing, and they're well-known for it. But it was like you saw them on menus everywhere for a really long time, and then all of a sudden they didn't sell, and they were all gone in an instant.
1: Definitely true. I think another great example of that is the Brut IPA. Uh, That's something that became very popular here in the Bay Area for just a lightning quick moment, and brewers loved it. They thought it had this great kind of new texture to it. It was about to, you know, someone just needed to perfect it, and the people would really understand uh, what they were trying to go for. And that wave has already passed, and the market did not uh, take on. I haven't, I haven't seen someone brew a Brut IPA for a good year.
0: And it's funny you say that because one of my favorite brewed IPAs out there was the Sierra Nevada Brewed IPA. And last year I went in, it was springtime. They had it as a seasonal release. It was a great beer. It was crystal clear, hoppy, dry as hell. It was a great beer. And then I go this year in the spring, and it might have something to do with COVID. That beer is nowhere to be found. And But then you look at like people who are really into hazy IPAs, like my neighbor— he hated the brewed IPA. And so, you know, in the end, brewers and drinkers, we really all just kind of have opinions. And that's just kind of how it is.
1: Everyone does have an opinion. And it's, it, it's. I think, part of being a successful brewer or brewery, if you're, you know, trying to monetize on it is reading the tea leaves and trying to figure out which of the many trends that people are coming out with are, are going to catch on, right? So, First, it was lactose and overly fruit mashed uh, Berliner Weiss. These days, it's things like marshmallow trying to get marshmallow cream into the beer. Um, I think that everybody is just trying to find that new thing or jump on the train because there's plenty of examples out there of if you don't, then you may not, you know, you may not be be around. So there's a, a somewhat of an example of this here in the Bay Area. Is there's a brewery in Almina called Faction. And faction took a very strong stance against the hazy IPA, and they brew they brew clear beer, and they do it well. They make great pale ales, but you can see that over time the patronage to that particular brewery has fallen. They used to be one of the one of the biggest ones in the Bay Area. Everyone wanted to go there. It's on this it's on this beautiful island. You have a view of the bay. You can hang out, drink some beers, but I just I just don't think that they are in the conversation anymore for the best breweries in the Bay Area.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And you just have to listen to your customers at some point if you want to be a successful brewery, right? Yep. It's just kind of exactly. the deal. It's
1: a double-edged sword.
0: It really is a double-edged sword. So let's, let's switch gears here a bit. I want to... You know, you and I just did a switch. We did a, a beer trade, and I have my box. You have your box. We haven't op- we haven't really gone through our boxes together, so let's do that right now. What do you say?
1: All right, yeah. So, uh, opening my box, I see uh, some really some really good beers in here. Actually, um, some some Denver, some Colorado, some maybe not so much. But the first thing I see here on top is a couple cans of Typhoon from Black Project Brewery. Uh, I've been to Denver a couple times. Every time I try to make a stop there, uh, there's my three favorite in the area would be Black Project, True, and Cerebral, who I talked about. I also noticed that there's quite a big can of Cerebral in here. This is a 32 ounce, I believe, is it?
0: Yep, that's a crowler of Cerebral. I hope you enjoy it.
1: Awesome, yeah, that's great to see. Uh, those are you, those can be sometimes tough to ship because. They aren't as hermetically sealed as the cans you get off the line at the brewery. So I've had uh, I've heard some horror stories, but I'm glad it made it safe. I also see a couple beers in here from Toppling Goliath, and that that's not a that's not a Colorado brewery, is it?
0: No, it's definitely not a Colorado brewery. But the cool thing is, is that in Colorado we just started getting distributed all the Toppling Goliath beers. And as you know, one of my favorites is the King Sue, and I think you have that in your box, right?
1: Uh, that's great. I King Sue is off is amazing. It's definitely one of the greatest things that they've come out with that isn't a stout. Uh as, as you probably know if you look at the the chart toppers that Kentucky brunch Kentucky Brand Brunch Stout from them is number 1 um and has been for some time. But when they do when they do hops they do them right. And there's a few, there's actually very few breweries out there that can do a hoppy beer, a uh you know, a stout and a sour all together at the same time and uh one of those is here in the bay area and i think they do a great job there are a, there are a very small amount of breweries out there that can actually do uh three different styles very well the the three major ones we talked about already is the the hazy ipa a you know a nice big stout big bold stout and a barrel aged sour um one of the, one of those is from my hometown of santa cruz i think it's doing great things with all three of those beers uh humble sea and you might be you might see a couple of those uh, in your box as well. Another one that I think is great on the East Coast is Grimm. So New York gets a lot of hype for other half. They do the Pastry Town um, Festival. It's actually a pastry stout and pastry, like baked pastries festival. I've never gone. It sounds like something pretty incredible, That something that I might regret the next day but they're doing some good things there. Uh, Grim specifically has all three of those categories locked up really well. They might not do every single one of them as well as other breweries, but across the board, they do they do things very, very well there. So I'm always excited to trade for Grimm.
0: All right, Taylor, what else do you have in those boxes?
1: Well, I see what I'm actually the most excited about and has me uh, salivating here is that I see that you have put a couple bottles of Casey in here. So Casey is a brewery that I've been very excited about. Ever, I've only ever had the pleasure of drinking their beer one time. Was at a Cellar Maker Night of Metal and Beer. So they rented out a venue here in San Francisco and put on a metal concert. And in that concert, it was also a beer festival. So you could go around and get beers from different places. They had all kinds of great stuff. They had Horus. They had Monkish. They had Cellar Maker, they had Casey, and I didn't, I wasn't super familiar with it at the time, but I had one of their barrel aged sours that evening, and man, was it good. And I see that the one that you've actually put in here is my favorite type, which is a peach. So I'm, I'm a guy who's very interested in the stone fruit uh, sours, and over the berry types, this is, this is really what I look for. I think it ages so well. I'm, you know, I am gonna be putting it in my cellar. I'm gonna be definitely holding on to it for a pretty good amount of time, letting letting the tart components meld into the sweet, letting it all get nice and happy in there, and make sure that you know, when I'm drinking it, it's a different experience than it would have been if I were to just open it right away. And I think the really having the patience to age your beer well, especially with varieties like this, is you get your bang for your buck on that one.
0: And also, if you dig a little deeper in that box, you'll notice that I threw a KZ Hazy IPA in there, right?
1: I see that. I, di- I haven't had that from them. I didn't know they made those.
0: Ooh, and surprisingly, they're pretty good. Uh, and I one thing that's kind of funny is how often do you see a Hazy in a bottle?
1: Not often at all. I can't think of a single other example of a bottled Hazy.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny you know, what's really funny is I love that bottle, and I like the shape a lot.
1: The five hundred milliliter.
0: Yeah, the five hundred milliliter. It's just kind of a a cool shape, and I don't know. It's it's a bottle that I would really save and use to make homebrew or a stout. Nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah proper glassware is important. You know, it depends. It depends on what you're bottling in and what kind of caps you have, especially if you want to. If you, if the intention that you have is to age, you want to make sure that you are storing correctly. You're minimizing the contact with oxygen. You're minimizing the amount of oxygen that can get in the bottle. So corks can breathe a little bit. You want to make sure that if you're corking, you're also capping. If this is something that's intended to stick around for a while and be drank at a different time, I'm I'm also familiar with the 500 milliliter bottles more uh, with the stout than I am with the hazy IPA. So. Even even the great Casey is not uh, immune to brewing the latest and greatest styles.
0: But that's something you could see at a brewery in the Bay Area, Bay Area like the Rare Barrel, right? They you you could go to their tap room and get a hazy. That's IP. right, totally. And if you sit down, you're gonna if you want to order a clean hazy IPA, you could from them.
1: It is, and and they do what they do really well, which is something that I have had a few really excellent versions of, is the uh, Sour IPA, if you're familiar with it. They do uh, basically, if you can imagine, pouring a Kettle Sour into a Hazy IPA and then canning that. um, There's a few breweries out there doing it very well. One of them being Rare Barrel uh, here in California in Oakland is just incredible. Another one I can think of off the top of my head is Hudson Valley outside of New York. They're doing really great stuff with it.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because I had a patron-only episode that I did as part of a group chat that we had, and we were talking about that style of beer specifically, and funny, you brought me one of those. You'd come to Denver, and we had had some (laughs) rare barrels that you had brought, and I have to say that that was, for me, not one of my favorites. It, It just was not good they've probably gotten better at it because it was right in the beginning when they were starting to do it. But the idea is that it's a really
1: tough style to really nail, right? Just not good. Yeah. it can have a real soapy flavor to it if it's not done right.
0: Exactly. But on the other hand of it, it's also something where the bitterness can kind of clash with the sour. One of the things you learn when you're early into brewing sour beers is that sour needs a low IBU. And so, it just has to be the right flavor of sour to not clash with the extra bitterness or even the real fruity hot flavors that you're going to get in those hazy IPAs, right?
1: It'll happen. I think, you know, just like with any of these kind of newer styles, it takes a little while to get there. Um, Who knows? It could have been a case where somebody accidentally poured one beer into the other and said, hey, maybe I have something here. But sometimes it will take time to really balance it out uh more of an art than a science i would say
0: totally it's just kind of how it is
1: and just to, just to round off the the box i see also a Weldworks brewing in here um this is another hazy india uh pale ale so i'm ex- or india pale ale i'm excited about that
0: i'm excited that you're excited about it i love weld works and i i wasn't sure if you'd had it before and glad to hear that it's not one that's known to you
1: I have not had a Weldworks before. I'm, I'm intrigued by it because I remember that you said you were going to put it in there. And, hey, who am I to say no to free beer? But that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about when somebody says, when somebody tells you that something's near and dear to their heart, you just got to make sure that, you know, you approach it with the proper um, respect that one would do with something that somebody cares about.
0: Let's switch gears a bit and switch to my box. And I'm going to pull out the first beer here, which is a Fieldwork. Why don't you tell me a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so House of God Fieldwork is a brewery that started in um, Berkeley and has really just taken the entire Bay Area by by storm. You can find their locations all the way down in Monterey, all the way up in Napa. We have one here that just opened in Corte Madera, which is in Marin County. And they're just pumping out a ton of really high-quality beer. House of God's is uh, during COVID they have actually opened up their tap rooms so that you can order food and beer for either takeout or delivery. And the other night I had a pizza delivered from them. They're do- the, um, the Polatina style pizzas, which are very good. And the house of gods was the latest release. So I grabbed it and I really enjoyed it. And it was just right around the time that we were talking. So figured why not send you over a couple?
0: Well, I want to thank you for the field work because I'm excited to try it. And I love, Galaxy and Idaho 7, both are just really great hops. And you also sent me some Humble C, and you sent me two beers, the Fogfarther and a Finback. Why don't you tell me a bit about those?
1: So the Finback is actually a virtual collaboration. It's one of those series that they've been doing with a bunch of other breweries. Uh, Finback is actually found in New York, uh, north of the city, and they've done a couple other ones. Uh, The most recent one I have is from Holmes, which is in um, Michigan. Humble Sea itself is in, I think I mentioned my hometown of Santa Cruz, and they are somebody who's putting out these triple IPAs that do not drink like a triple. I will um, defy you to have a taste of that, not knowing what the ABV was and tell me that it was 10%. That's
0: actually really tough to do. Usually when you get over 8%, you see it get a little boozy, and it's really tough to do.
1: Yeah, the sweet is the problem, where they try to balance off that uh, kind of heat with a little bit too much sweet. Uh, this, this I don't think they do that too much with. And there's there's a few of those out there, right? So I keep talking about Other Half. I'm a big fan of Other Half. They do some really big triples. I was I had the fortune of being out on the East Coast around the holidays, and everybody for New Year's was putting out their biggest, wildest beers. And I had you know, quite a few tastes of the triples out of Other Half. And I was, happened to be down in Richmond, Virginia, which is another beer mecca for the East Coast. They have a lot of great breweries there. Uh, the veil vale is another one that I had, that, which was just triple after triple. And it was, uh, it was a boozy week, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you were like, I felt this one, right? Yes. <laughs> after the holidays, I was ready for a little uh, New Year's resolution.
0: Tell me a bit about this beer, 831.
1: All right, yeah. So 831 is the area code of santa cruz county and this is a west coast style ipa from the brewery santa adarius rustic ales this is actually the has been voted the ninth best brewery in the world from rate beer most recently they're doing some really fantastic things with barrel aged sours but you know another great example of somebody who can do more than just what their bread and butter is and pump out some really just tasty uh, hazies hazies and regular West Coast IPAs.
0: This Pond Farm that's in here, I'm super excited to try. I've heard of this brewery a lot. And why don't you tell me a bit about that beer?
1: Yeah, definitely. So Pond Farm uh, kind of came out of left field at Great American Brew Festival last year and won a bronze in... The extremely impacted category of hazy IPA with their Devil's Gulch IPA. So they won. Uh, nobody had really heard of them before. I, you know, I have to. I have to admit, I've lived in San Francisco for you know close to fifteen years, and they're they're right in the Bay Area, and I wasn't familiar with them until I heard that. Um, since then, they have really taken off in the area, and they've been doing a lot of great stuff. Uh, this is their Double Devil, which is the double IPA version of their award-winning. Uh, devil's gulch ipa so you i think you'd be really happy with that one
0: this next beer in the box i'm really excited about which is an equilibrium and i've never had an equilibrium at all and you know this is also a non-local beer why don't you tell me a bit about this beer
1: yeah fluctuation uh we just we got a We got a shipment of those kind of hit the Bay Area not too long ago. And I've been very impressed by everything that they put out. So you should be excited about that as well.
0: I am really excited about this beer. It's, you know, you've got a bunch of Bay Area beers, and
1: this is the one from New York. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? Well, so uh, listeners of this podcast might have noted that a lot of the other beers I talk about are from the Northeast, mostly New York and surrounding states, because <laughs> that's most of the people I trade with, right? That's where that's where you're getting places like Treehouse, Hill Farmstead, Trillium, Hudson Valley. Those are all very, very um, in demand as far as the trade scene is considered. And so I I just leverage what I have here in the way of um, Humble Sea, Alvarado, San Darius. whatever I can get from them is uh, what I try to trade for stuff that it's not quite as uh, at my fingertips as some of the things here in the Bay Area.
0: Well, I'm pretty excited to drink one of these beers. Let's uh,
1: crack one. What do you say? Yeah, let's open it up. I'm going to go for this uh, Typhoon here, um, just because there's two of them. I have a cold one in front of me right now. This is the Black Project uh, Sour Wheat Ale with Blood Orange and Blueberry. So I mentioned I'm more of a... Stone fruit, but uh, blood orange and blueberry sounds good enough for me. It's really just the tartness of things like raspberry that sometimes I find a little bit, a little bit too much on the tongue, versus something that I can really feel with my whole mouth. Do You want to say anything about it?
0: Uh, the first thing I would like to say is the first thing you're going to notice about that beer is the nose. It's got an <laughs> amazing, amazing nose on it, and it's it's brett but the brett isn't that like barnyard it is but it is just a touch of hay you'll really 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 dig it
1: all right well i'm gonna crack it here oh yeah i love that sound don't we all oh yeah i can definitely smell it the wheat ale is coming through big time which isn't always true with with a sour like this, especially a fruited one
0: yeah, and it's not really overdone, especially because you don't like berries and you more are into stone fruit. This one is really well executed it's It's not overly tart.
1: The color is very interesting as well. it's not what I was expecting it's really more of a it's like a pink almost grapefruit color as it comes into the glass here I'm pouring this into my. Moonraker Brewing Anniversary Tiku as glassware is very important. Oh yeah. I'm gonna let the uh let the bubbles settle a little bit here. It wasn't my greatest pour, but how about what are you gonna be opening?
0: I'm gonna open the field work. This is as I pour it out, a bit it's a, it, it's hazy. Is it's it's got a really nice color. I I can smell the gal- galaxy. The Idaho Seven really get the galaxy nose on it, and I'm really digging the mouthfeel. Uh, this is this is definitely is really good.
1: So I'm noting that the uh, ABV of this Black Project is 4.5, so a little low, but that's not too bad for a sour wheat. Let me give it a try here. Oh yeah, that's very nice. It definitely has a tartness, which I think comes from the blood orange. So it's more of a citrus tart than it would be, you know, a berry or other fruit. And it's very smooth. It has a great um, finish, and just an all around great beer. Thank you very much. Yeah, this is a, this is a nice light day drinker for sure. I could I could see having this on the beach.
0: It's funny. It kind of reminds me of the type of beer uh True Brewing would do, right?
1: Yeah, it does. I think True True does a lot of really good things with uh hoppier um sours like this. Well, Not that this is hoppy, but they they do um they do they have a lot of a Saison vibe and they do, they, they use Brett very uh expertly in their beers.
0: Yeah, they do and they count a lot of their sours as well.
1: They do. They do. I was surprised by I think there's one probably one of the first canned sours I ever had actually.
0: And this field work, as I'm tasting it, is got a really nice round mouth feel and it's not overly sweet. I think one of the problems with the local breweries that I get here in Colorado, or a lot of breweries that do hazy's, is that they tend to get that ABV bumped up, and the sweetness overtakes everything.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, and they, I think, you know, brewers will use that to. Tone down the heat in those higher higher ABV. Um, they to try to balance it with sweet, and I don't think for me that's I. I like a drier beer, just kind of in general across the board. So it's not. It it doesn't do it for me when they when they move in that direction with the flavor.
0: I think a lot of it has to do with the, when you have a high B, ABV beer, you're also going to end up with a lot of residual sugar. The beers that you're looking at right now. For example, if you started a really high gravity, such as like a 1080 or a 1090, you're going to finish it in the 1020s. And that's just kind of the deal with the style,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we're on the same page there.
0: Well, Taylor, I want to thank you for coming on the show this week. I think that we had a good time tasting some beers, trading some beers, talking about beer trading, talking about the trends in craft beer. And yeah, it was a really good time.
1: Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks a lot, Culture. Great to talk to you.
0: I want to thank Taylor for taking the time to talk to us this week on the show. If you want to find Taylor, you can head over to his Instagram account that's bay.area.beers and you can follow him and learn more about his adventures in beer drinking. You can also look at homebrewing DIY on our Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Just look for the handle at homebrewing DIY. And we'll see you next week on Homebrewing DIY.